Thinking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben. Welcome back to another episode. And you know, around these parts, we do not love the MVP debates and conversations that take place throughout the year. We don't like them when they take place in December, in January, February. We don't even care for them too much at the end of the year. But Cody, you know what's more fun than that? What's more fun, Ben? Trying to predict who's going to win the MVP because... It kind of is this intersection of how how well a player is playing, plus or minus some perceived delta, you know, somebody gets overrated, somebody gets underrated. How good the team ends up performing with the expectations around the team. And then those things swirl together to create a narrative. So we have done, if you haven't heard it, we've predicted the most improved player. We've predicted, uh, Cody, what was the other award? Defensive player of the year? Yeah, we defense. Oh, that was fun. Yeah. And now I this might be the end. We were, you know, the season is passing us by. This might be the end of our prediction series. Uh, oh, actually, we actually predicted the the quarterfinals of the NBA Cup. We have to get to that. So today we're going to talk about MVP narratives. We're going to talk about where we think players are going to finish at the end of the year and and there's a lot on the line with how you think teams are going to shake out and who's legit and who's not legit. But first, first, we have some housekeeping to take care of. You know, we have some housekeeping to take care of. This has happened before. It will no doubt happen again. Uh, my dog is here to commemorate this for those watching on YouTube. I, I have to apologize, Cody. In the last episode, I had an error. I what? had an error. Yeah. How did you error? Yeah, I, I, I erred. I missed it. You know, sometimes you miss a shot. We were talking about the Bucks and the Knicks, and I misread the score of their first game. Do you remember this? Um, you did, and I didn't know the score well enough from the past to correct you, so we just kind of let it fly by. Yeah, yeah. It's. Um, I mean, I, I guess this is a good time for confession. We could do, like, confession time on this show and pull the pull the curtain back behind the fourth wall and whatever metaphors we can also think of there like we watch a lot of games I don't remember I don't remember the score of most of the games that we see and it actually gets worse I can't remember what games I've seen so I will deep scout a game for an hour and a half make a bunch of notes pull a bunch of interesting clips use them in videos and unless I've made the video where I like get to rewatch the play and edit it and things like that I have to go check. I have to go check my notes to see if I've seen the game, and um, yeah. So we apologize for that. We we totally flubbed that. The Bucks beat the Knicks the first time they played. The Knicks did not win, and the same thing happened uh, in the quarterfinals of the NBA Cup. That the Bucks will be continuing in the NBA Cup after, long after we finish recording this one and put it into the annals of podcasting history. But Cody, you you successfully picked the Bucks. In that in that matchup, we did our we're gonna, we got to do the other housekeeping we have to do is our our scorekeeping the first of our scorekeeping predictions from this season. The results are already in. Cody, you had sixty percent confidence on the Bucks. Remember that? Well, here's the thing. I it's very charitable for you to start and congratulate me on the one game I correctly predicted. Well, we're gonna get to the rest. <laughs> we're gonna get, we're gonna get to the rest. So you had you had 60% confident on the Bucks. So we're giving you 60 points yeah. for that 60% um, confidence. And I mean, I stand by the 60% like when I was watching, I think they were both in the 70s at halftime, which if you had pulled me like directly before the game started, I would have never guessed that, right? Like I thought that I think I even said it on the podcast. I think I like I think this is going to be a bit of a rock fight. 
I think the Knicks are going to do a good job of like limiting the paint attacks and things like that. But instead, it turned into the Bucks just dropping. I don't even know how many points. It was a lot of points. I think they were yeah. in the 130s. It was a lot. Anybody who had a whole podcast episode uh, before that game about how they're concerned about the Bucks offense. Um, you know, I just put my foot in my mouth. Not really, but then, like, Cody, my dad texts me and he talks trash. It's sort of like the opposite of what you might expect from a dad. He, t- he texts me, he's like, Bucks offense really looking good, Ben. I'm like, okay, that's great. This morning I woke up to Clippers are clearly turning the corner. Clippers are on a winning streak. They're turning the corner. So, um, yeah, that, that game, that game did not, I texted you, I think, five minutes into the first quarter mm-hmm. and I said, the Bucks are like 97% to win this game because the uh, an offensive shootout with the New York Knicks the, I think the Bucks have that in the bag. So, so is yeah, that what ahead. you were is that what you were seeing right away in the game? Did you yeah. see that like the Bucks were kind of pushing the pace and the Knicks were instead of like controlling tempo they were like, "You know what? We're going to gunsling right with you and that's just not a game they can play." It wasn't just tempo, it's what we talked about. I thought the I thought the key for New York to spring an upset was to basically win a defensive game that was dictated by slowing down some of those pick and roll actions, middle of the court handoff actions that you talked about that you're starting to really like in the box offense. And Mm -hmm. the Knicks certainly have the personnel to do that in theory, but like you just four or five minutes into the game and you're going, there's no resistance. The other thing is I loved the intensity of the Pacers Celtics game Mm. that we saw in game one of the East that they allowed a little bit more physicality in the officiating. And Cody, man, I wish they would let defenders, like, it's okay to run into a defender's body and have it be a no call. Half the time it should be an offensive foul, but I will take a no call. And they let the guys play a little bit more. So credit to the Pacers in that game because their defense was passable. It needed to be passable. You had guys like Aaron Neesmith running around, fighting, blocking shots. Uh, Halliburton had some passable possessions, and it's always a challenge for him. Although the Celtics started the game in the first half by really attacking him. It was really an interesting, for a single elimination game, I thought it lived up to the billing big time by having these little subtle systematic things going on, these little tactical challenges going on. And then the intensity and the the sort of um, physicality of the game was great. Then you go to the Knicks Bucks games and it's like a game from the bubble or something. You're like, oh, okay. First team to 140 wins. The Knicks have no shot here. It's really interesting because I probably would have flipped the games like ahead of time right. in the way that I yeah. expected from them. And here, here's my question to you because here's what I can't figure out the, the whole like one piece of evidence gives you complete proof, like burden of proof here. And that's what I'm sitting with the Pacers right now. Because in my mind, I'm like, the Pacers basically can't dial up their defense. Like, that's just not something they can do. They're just going to run you out of the gym. But they did dial up the defense against probably the team that most people in the NBA space think are going to be contending for a championship at the end of the year. So, like, in terms of, like, a statement game, like, I don't want to put too much of, like, an ESPN focus on, like, the statement game here. But do you think that this is actually evidence that what the Pacers did defensively is sustainable Or do you think that was sort of like a lightning in a bottle, one game sort of sample size? Well, if you go over to thinkingbasketball.net, which we have for our Patreon subscribers, you will see, Cody, that the Pacers defense, when you take into account opponent and shooting luck and things like that, is not as abysmal as the raw numbers tell you. And I buy that from watching the game. I think this is a below average defensive team. I don't think they put a lot of great defensive personnel out on the court but 
I mean, they're like, what, six points worse than league average by raw number right now? I don't quite think they're a 1990-91 Denver Nuggets or whatever it is where, you know, they're going to play at this crazy pace, they're going to have a good offense, and they're going to have the absolute worst defense in the league, and it's going to make them an afterthought. And this is a perfect segue, maybe, to trying to balance all these things with a guy like Tyrese Halliburton, trying to balance all these things with whether the Celtics are going to finish and their MVP candidate, Jason Tatum. So we'll jump into that in two seconds, but let's finish Let's finish the scorekeeping first, shall we? Okay. Okay. Yeah. We, so We yeah. both had uh, Celtics for that game, right? We both picked the Celtics. Yes, well, interestingly, you had 70% confidence on the Celtics, and I had 68. So you're losing 70 points there. I'm okay. losing. I'm losing 68 points there. Uh, when Wait, you, is this how we're is this how we're doing it? Is this your? your I decision? just made this up right before the show. What do you think? I, this is. I think this is the Price is Right happening in real life. I kind of dig that actually. That's I a, like it. A, yeah, that's clever. That's yeah. clever. I started it without knowing the results. Here are the results. Cody gets sixty points for the Bucks. He loses sixty points for the Suns. He loses seventy points for the Kings and the Celtics. That gives him a total of minus one forty. Uh, <laughs> I I lose sixty eight points for the Celtics. Sixty two points for the Suns. I lose 50.1 points for the Knicks, and the only game I got right, I got 50.7 points for the Pelicans. So I, I'm minus 129.4. Um, by the way, if you're open to saying we only we only want to give ourselves – I think the problem is if you, if you say we only got to give ourselves the positive score, then why wouldn't you just go plus 100 for every game you try to get right? Yeah. No, because we're we're honest men. Yes, ben. yes. That's this what we're is, we're here yes. to genuinely give how we think that we're going to go. And I actually I really do stand by everything I said. But I think we were talking about the complicated nature of trying to talk about like a single game sample, right? Like it's I don't want to do say do it's it? easier, but it's different when you're going to a playoff series and you're like, okay, I know that this coach is able to adjust here. I think these players are going to be able to, you know, after game one, game two, throw these kinds of adjustments. But when you're just like, how are these players going to step up for a single game? I don't want to say it's a complete crapshoot, right? But, like, once you get to the top, like, maybe it kind of is. Like, that would be an interesting study, but I guess we have a sample size of four right now for elimination games in the NBA. But that would be an interesting study across uh, across multiple years of this. Without breaking down any of the games, we'll do 30 seconds or less. We've got the semifinals coming up. Uh, we're recording before that, but almost everyone will listen to the show afterwards. Do you have predictions for the semifinals and then the finals on Saturday night? Let's get them locked in. Actually, wow, this is actually... I didn't even think about having predictions for the semifinals. Right off the top of your head. Let's do it. I'm going to Google. I don't even know what the matchups are right now, so let me Google them quickly. You tell me yours. We will give you the matchups. We will give you the matchups. It's the, the Lakers are playing the Pelicans on one side of the bracket, and the Pacers are playing the Bucks on the other side. Okay. Oh, that's really interesting. Because I'm gonna take you, I'm gonna take the Pelicans. Okay. Yeah. And I'll go seventy one percent just for funsies. Okay. And uh who's on the other side? The Pacers and the Bucks. Uh let's Cody, let's live it up. Let's do Pacers fifty five percent. Let's go for it. Okay. Ben, I'm gonna get really hot here for a second. I'm gonna start with the hottest one first. I'm going Pacers over Bucks eighty twenty. <laughs> Yes, this 80, is 20. We should have should have made this the whole show. This is amazing. <laughs> well, I mean, I feel like if anything nope, that nope. next game can't, can't break it down. Can't break it down. You just got to give it to us raw. Got to give it to us raw. Okay. Wait, wait. Can I do I have like 10 seconds? Do I have like a 10 second countdown to We got to get we get 10 seconds on the uh, game in the West and then we got to go. Okay. Uh I'm taking what was it? Lakers. I'm going to take Lakers over the Pelicans 
55-45. And then uh, who, who do you think is going to win the championship? Oh, wow. So then I guess by that, I would say it would be the Lakers against the Pacers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what? I'm going to, like you said last time, I'm going to buy into the LeBron of it all. Like the, Le- someone, I saw someone, I don't remember who it was, said La Vegas, and I can't get that out of my head. So just for the La Vegas meme, uh, I'm going Lakers 60-40. I'm going full Cinderella pill, and I will take the Pacers 50, 51% to win the final game. This is amazing. This is amazing. Okay. Let's uh, let's get to business here with the MVP candidates and everything we just talked about uh, was just driving me mad trying to figure this out, Cody, because there are so many MVP candidates this year. We're going to stick to what we've done and and produce a ballot of top five. Can you remind everyone how our scoring is going to work for the top five? Because I was trying to rack my brain to strategically set my ballot up to get the most points possible, even if I knew I wouldn't be getting the exact order. I was like, is it is it likely that this guy is going to make the top five? So what's going to happen is obviously there's a lot of MVP candidates, and this is how we handled it with the other award predictions that we were doing. What Ben and I are going to do is we're going to try and predict our top the top five MVP finishers at the end of the season. Okay, and what we're going to do is we're going to try and lock in our actual ordering. So we're going to say so-and-so is going to win, so-and-so is going to finish second, and whatever else. The way that we're going to score it is if that we predict the winner correctly, we get five points. If we predict any other position in the right position, like we say so-and-so is going to finish fourth and they do finish fourth, we get three points for that. And if we predict somebody that's going to be in the top five and they just generally end up in the top five but not in the right position, we get one point for that one. So that's how we've been doing it for uh, for the previous awards. And as far as I'm concerned, that's how we're doing it today as well. Yeah, I think that's how we have to do it for all these awards. That makes total sense. And uh, I had maybe like 15 guys when you really extended out that I was trying to figure out how how well are they playing to start the year? How good do I think they are? How good is can their season be? Can they improve? What's the perception of their play? Where's their team? You know, what's the perception of their team relative to their supporting cast and their performance? Voters are smarter. They're looking at more advanced stats than they did 10 or 20 years ago. So there's just a ton of stuff swirling around in my head. Voter fatigue. You know, are they going to keep voting the same guys? The, the, the status quo and the top of the league just, I mean, the last few years we've seen it in the MVP with the same players dominating the top of the ballot. So a ton of things, but I wanted to start discussing. We can, we can get to our order at the end, okay? But I wanted to have this discussion by starting with guys that I considered kind of long shot candidates meaning they could okay. be, they could get they could get there on the ballot Cody right they could finish fifth on the ballot right but but I you know the MVP seems like an incredible lift and I just wanted to briefly discuss them and I'll if any of these guys are actually in your top five all the all the merrier it'll be just spectacular you can you can you can take you can say Ben I believe in the long shot can I can I ask you a question before we get into this it would not be a thinking basketball podcast if you did not ask me a question for ten minutes of prelude before we start the uh, the main tune. Listen, I think an underrated part, especially of like metal songs, is the overture. Like, if there's an album and the first name of the song is called like Overture, especially if it has something like super nerdy and like sci-fi after, you know it's gonna bang, right? Like, you just know that transition for that song. So, like, I'm a big Overture kind of guy. You know, I like the prelude. What I was gonna ask you is. 
because I made my list before the season started. And I was wondering if there's something like, but I changed it. Oh, yeah. That's the thing. Based on your face, I changed it. And I was wondering, I'm like, is there something beguiling about the first 20 games? Like, does the first 20 games of Sample actually give you a good, like, I don't know, point your ships in the correct direction? Or is it kind of like a siren song? Is it calling you the wrong way? It's going to crash your ship, actually. So what do you think? Do you think you would have actually done better if you had done this before the season? Or do you think waiting a quarter of the way through the season is actually, uh, it, we're starting to see some things precipitate? I think getting a look helps. Now, okay. now, 20 might be weird in that I wonder, because we, we had talked about doing this for the last couple weeks I wonder if getting in at 12 or 15 is kind of the right amount where I'm concerned that what happens at 20 is a big enough sample that your brain has a hard time going, well, that's not how... that The, the standings are always going to be like that. 20 games is a good sample. The standings are always going to be like that. That player is going to play at that level for the rest of the year. Whereas if it's 10 games... You get a little bit of a look, so you kind of get a feel for who's grown and the chemistry of teams and whatnot, but you just know it's a small enough sample that you're not going to anchor heavily to where someone is in the standings or what their points per game are or their shooting numbers or something like that. So we're, we're far enough in that stats like EPM on dunksandthrees.com estimated plus minus is already published. You know, we've got more data on teams, so I'm, I kind of fall in the middle. It's nice to get a look, but when I was going through this, I was like, Oh man, I gotta I gotta unstick myself because Cody, there's so much basketball yet to play. And most importantly for this award, it has a huge recency bias to it. The end of the season and what happens in the second half of the season, I would say in my experience, is probably one and a half times to twice as valuable as what happens in the first half of the season. Meaning if you come out and you dominate the first half of the season and you cook and you are like the MVP of the straw poll that's taken halfway through the season, and then your team just goes totally flat and you're mediocre, no, you just don't have a shot at winning the MVP. I, I'm not even sure I can think of an MVP off the top of my head that's won that way recently outside of some weird injury luck that I'm forgetting. But if you flip it and you go the other way and you're like mediocre to start the year and you don't even play that well, and then you get hot and you move, slide up the standings in the second half of the season, and your final stats are good, and you're on TV and winning close games and getting all these highlights once football season ends and more people are paying attention and all that, you're going you're gonna to do really well. You might just win MVP. That's happened many, many times before. So, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. There's a lot of moving parts and confounding factors, and um, yeah. The, the idea that you're talking about, and it's not exactly the same thing as like the team falling flat, but the, the player that starts off really strong and then the second half of the year is a little bit weaker, I like to think of that as the, the Paul George MVP. Like I feel like you go back to like especially 2014-ish, maybe even like 2018-ish, and I feel like all of those seasons when he was sort of especially in his defensive prime, there was always like a big like, is this the Paul George top three MVP finish? And then it kind of like tapered off by the end of the season. Now... The most difficult part about this one, because I think the other awards, they don't quite have like the extraordinary narrative push. Like this is going to be the one that's bandied about by every talking head for the last couple months of the season. But when we're like trying to weigh the scales here, like, of course, number one, I'm trying to be true to like, you know, these are the guys that I genuinely think are going to be some of the best players in the league are going to be driving their team success the best. But I also like I think I actually weighed it less 
than the narrative part of it, right? And I think trying to figure out the narrative for MVP is fascinating because when I'm looking at these players, I'm like, okay, I know that the voting body is smarter than the past. Okay, I know we have more information. I know that people are starting to uh, be open to a lot of different avenues for looking, but I don't know which avenues people look at the most. So I'm looking at a bunch of stats and I'm like, okay, is this one going to hold? If this one holds, is it, I don't know, if this guy's on office near plus 20, is that really going to sway like half the voting body? So I don't know. I... This kills me, Ben. There's there's a couple names here that I've been back and forth about who's going to be in my top five. I think we just need to dive in and start talking about some guys here. I, I think, for me, it came down to seven or eight names. So let's start with just throwing out these long shot candidates. And again, if you've got them in there, that's spectacular. It, it, yep. It's not too disaligned with me. Misaligned? Disaligned? Did I just make up a, a word? Crossword like- puzzlers out there, let me know. <laughs> um, but like... These guys were just there, and then you look at the competition, and it was just hard for me to actually put my money where my my mouth is and and actually put them on my ballot. So I'll start with just the softball for you. Get it out of the way. ESPN, take check the box. LeBron James. Okay. Yeah. I mean, are we just riffing on these guys? I just want to. I just want to throw a few names out there. We'll just riff on them quickly, and then we'll get to the heavy hitters. Yeah, LeBron. I think. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the opposite stance as I've done in the past, right? I've, I've reflected, Ben. I've had moments of reflection here where in these sorts of little games that we do, maybe instead of being negative about each person you kick out, maybe I should be positive about each player, right? So I'm, I'm going to try and take that spin as we go forward instead of, like, bashing everyone's chances. With LeBron, I think the narrative story of him being in his 21st season of the second highest points per game average being Vince Carter before this with like seven and a half points per game. LeBron has an absurd on-off number. It's like in the plus 20s. He looks like the past couple of years of Nikola Jokic, right? Uh, every indicator of him just being an excellent player are right near the top. He doesn't look like prime LeBron James, but he looks like just a step down from prime LeBron James. And of course, you know, Ben, he plays for LA. I think playing for the Lakers just genuinely gives you a little bit of a bump. And I think if Anthony Davis isn't like extraordinarily dominant, I don't know. I think there's a lot of things that could push LeBron towards this top five finish. Yep. To to me, that's exactly why he was on my candidates to get a top five finish. Does he have the mileage to play 70 plus games and get the minutes and all that stuff? And... Can the Lakers finish with the high enough seed? And what is that bar for different teams? I tried to gauge it as I went through. I think LA probably needs a top four or five seed or some of the other players to get injured uh, higher up on the ballot. I think that's also the dirty the dirty little elephant mm-hmm. in the room. Not a clean elephant. It's a dirty elephant because if everybody's injured, you know, you could be like the 11th guy, but if they all get injured, you're going to get a fifth place finish or something like that. So, okay, this is another fun one. We've talked about it before. Zion Williamson, I'm Pelicans curious. To me, he's just not in good shape right now. <laughs> he he needs to be in better condition. Um, is that a thing that could still happen this year? Can they? There's so much basketball left to play. Can a team like this put it together and rip off an incredible January or February? Or we saw the Celtics a couple years ago in their run to the finals turn the season around after the new year. Can, can that happen? And if it did, you know, wouldn't they need Zion to be good? And if Zion were good, wouldn't it get him up into the MVP conversation? And the thing with Zion is I think the the aspect, uh, beyond, you know, just being better physical condition, right? I think the defense would hold him back. I think people would bring that sort of thing up. But what could be spun in his 
uh, in his favor is some of the defensive plays he can make. Because when you watch the Pelicans, you know, all of a sudden, like, somebody throws a long entry pass, and he's over here, and he flies over and, like, steals it and saves it. You're like, oh, my God, Zion. Or he, like, you know, he leaps up and meets the shot at the apex and just swipes it out of bounds. And you're like, oh, my God, this is the Duke Zion we've been waiting for. And maybe somebody could be, like, bewitched by some of these plays, along with some of the highlight plays. All of a sudden, the Pelicans are doing better because Trey Murphy the third is just, you know, the second best player on the team. All of these things could come together and create MVP Zion or top mm. five MVP Zion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a couple more. Let's do the let's do the teammates. I threw the. Uh, I didn't know what to do with Kevin Durant, but Durant and Booker are they gonna mm. are they gonna split votes? Durant's Durant's tricky because he's played 19 games and the Suns are 10 and nine. So like, what would it take? Would it take a monster stretch from him and a huge push up to the top of the standings? So at the end of the year. Because I don't think Durant has a shot if the Suns' record is like 20, you know, let's say he plays 70 games. If the Suns' record's like uh, 35 and that would be 35 and 35. This is the worst math anyone's ever done live uh, on a show. Um, you know, like 39 and 31. And then they do really well in the other games to get to 50 wins. Booker's the guy that looks like that. The Suns are 9 and 3 with Booker. So I, I just kind of put both of them in here. Okay, so let me actually ask you. If like if the season ended right now and you could only give like an MVP type of vote to one of the two players, would you give it to Durant or Booker? I would probably I'd probably give it to Durant the way I think about things, but I don't know if the voters would. I think the voters but then it gets weird because the voters get obsessed with cherry picking games played. Mm-hmm. Um, that's actually a segue into the next player, which is Steph Curry who's still one of the best players in the game, still an incredible offensive force. Uh, if, if anyone, I mean, probably most listeners to this show know that he's having this ridiculous statistical season, but for anyone who hasn't checked lately, uh, the, the guy's averaging 32 points per 75 possessions on plus 10% true shooting relative to the league. He's up near 70%. This is close to what he did in 2016. Um, it's a more scoring-friendly environment, so I don't think it's quite the same thing. But this is ridiculous at his age. So he's playing super well. When he's on the court, the Warriors have an above-average offense. When he goes to the bench, we won't talk about that. It's not not the same thing. Um, but, you know... <sighs> Does he even have a chance to, to make top five, depending on where they finish? I mean, that's the dirty elephant in the room here, Ben. I feel like every time I watch the Warriors, I'm, I'm blown away by Curry, right? It still looks like, like every time I watch him, like this is clearly a top five player in the league still. Like there's no reason that people shouldn't be fawning over his offensive game. But like you said, and I haven't checked it in a couple of days, but I'm pretty sure that they have a negative net rating when he's on the court and they have a negative on-off net rating with him. The team does better according to net rating when he's off the court. And I think, like, the Steph Curry... You know, ben, I, I don't know if you've seen anything floated like this. I've seen some stuff floated our way that we're biased against the Warriors. Uh, I didn't I didn't realize anyone was higher on Draymond Green and Steph Curry than for, you and I. For the Warriors or against... Hold on, time out. For the Warriors or against the Warriors? Against. Against, Ben. Against. against. I thought people thought we lived at the Chase Center. I thought people thought we recorded this from an office and all this background where you have this beautiful Midwestern basement that isn't actually your basement is a, is an office as studio inside the chase center to propagate the propaganda 
of the Bay Area Bombers, the San Francisco Legends, the Golden State Warriors. That's not true? You know what? No. Maybe it's the same people that's leveling the basement-dwelling Cheeto-munching ideas at me. But, you know, my spicy, sweet, chili Dorito people, all of these heads have come out and out of the woodwork and told me that these are actually the best Doritos. I, I don't know where we're going with this. But anyway, Look. being super high on Steph Curry, fantastic player. But I do think that the numbers, like we were kind of talking about with Luka Doncic last episode, I think that's going to turn away some people. Like Steph Curry doesn't have as monstrous Steph Curry numbers. I think that, along with their overall record, is sort of going to disqualify him in the uh, in the eyes of a lot of people. But his game, his ability to score, his ability to still be an offensive engine, I still think that alone keeps the door open a little bit. Uh, I was almost with you. I think you have it with disqualified. This is the guy to me who might be the best player in this group that I just think has almost no chance of yeah. getting in this group. And you, and you know why my brain thinks this. I mean, the voters will be a little more generous because of the title they won. But in the 2022 season, when he had a monster year, he was the best player on the best team. He came off a year in 2021, the year before, where he just you know shredded in terms of his stats. He finished third in MVP, had a great year. You know where he finished in 2022 in MVP? Where? He finished eighth. He finished eighth in MVP that year. That was when they had the be- that was when they were the best team. They were like the best team. They were incredible. His numbers were incredible. He played very, very well. And that would be like in 1993 if they were like Michael Jordan. Yeah, we've given you some MVPs. You're going to finish seventh or eighth. So, and then there's always the thing that year about how many games he played. We've been over it a men- like a million times. The players around him played a similar number of games. So I, I just don't think. He has the narrative momentum, even when Golden State does well. So mm-hmm. he was the guy who I racked my brain the least about a top five spot. There's another Bay Area guard who maybe is a little bit more interesting. Do you think De'Aaron Fox uh, could make an appearance? Here's why he could make an appearance, Ben. Because if you watch a Kings game, you hear that De'Aaron Fox is an MVP candidate. If you listen to the low post, you hear that De'Aaron Fox is an MVP candidate. If you go anywhere where people pub- publicly talk about basketball, you hear that De'Aaron Fox is an MVP candidate. If you turn so on I the ESPN game, Cody, the, the Kings broadcaster tells you that De'Aaron Fox is an MVP candidate. Keep going. Yeah, I don't want to be like, I don't want to sound super cynical this way, but like the wheels are churning. And I think once this wheel starts going downhill, it's a lot more difficult to stop. I'm not saying that De'Aaron Fox isn't a wonderful player. Right, De'Aaron Fox and Demonis Sabonis, who interestingly, Sabonis finished, was he sixth in MVP last year? Was he seventh? Like he was a top eight MVP finisher, so it's definitely not like not out of the realm of possibilities for one of the Kings guys to be right up there. And I think this year, you know, especially from what we saw in the playoffs, mostly from Fox being a tremendous playoff performer, I do think the narrative edge goes to him a little bit more. So, you know, if the Kings finish pretty equally from what we saw and they still have a high level offense and things like that. I don't see a reason why Fox wouldn't be up there. But that's it. I think last year, you know, Sabonis wasn't a strong top five candidate. And this season, I think you'd need one of two things to happen. I think you'd need the Kings to be clearly better in the regular season. I don't buy that that's going to happen. I like the Kings. I think they'll be in the same ballpark as last year with their overall regular season performance. And that also means, because we're going to talk about some other teams that are ahead in the West and other candidates from those teams, that also means like, you won't jump to the one seed. 
And if you're not going to jump to the one seed, I think Fox needs to jump. And even if we say he's better, I don't think it's a jump. I don't think people are going to be like, man, Fox is definitely a top 10 player. I mean, the team's kind of the same, but at the end of the year, I can't name 10 guys I'd rather have. I think that's what it would take for him to get top five. So I left him off as well. Okay. Let's talk about the heavy hitters. Let's talk about uh, the candidates. If you have anyone else you want to throw in there as we go through this, uh, obviously feel free to do this. But um, since we're talking about all this jumping and the narrative and the Kings and the guards from the Bay Area, we talked about the Pacers earlier. Tyrese Halliburton, does, does, mm-hmm. is there enough juice? I had him. I, I actually, let me rephrase this. I have him. Shea Gilgis-Alexander and Anthony Edwards as three guys listed in this group, like new to the party, okay? There's a lot of momentum behind him. Uh, All three of these players, they're all ascending players. They all have great stories right now, 20 games into the season. How do you feel about Tyrese? And then we'll we'll get to the other two. So here's the thing about Halliburton. And I do think, again, we're going with a narrative thing here. I think that the defensive switch, the win against the Boston Celtics – I think that was huge. I think, you know, we were just talking about the wheel turning. Somebody's pushing the wheel a little bit towards the the hill right now. Like, it's starting to go. And I think, like, if what you have predicted comes to pass, Ben, and the Pacers end up winning this whole thing, or at least, like, getting to the championship round of the NBA Cup and, and making it competitive, I think that's a huge boon for Tyrese Halliburton. But beyond that, I mean, you watch this dude go. And we've talked about, like, his improvement. I think he was a, a most improved like top finisher last year, like not the winner, but one of the top finishers last year. And again, I think he could be considered just because of his, you know, the quickness with his ability to pass and get off the ball, his shooting off the dribble, even though like sometimes looks, you're like, how is this guy getting that shot off? And it doesn't matter because he's just burying it from six, five feet behind the three-point line. And the fact that they have like, I don't know, man. They have the best offense like we've ever seen. Like, I think the last month of Indiana Pacers basketball has produced an offensive rating of like, what is it, 128? Is it 128 in the past month? Like, I can see like a 2005, six ish Steve Nash narrative about Tyrese Halliburton being like, this guy is ahead of the curve. And because of his offensive prowess, this little Pacers team, the little Pacers that could, is producing the greatest offense we've ever seen. Our board for subscribers on thinkingbasketball.net has an estimate of your win quality based on luck and based on opponent strength and, you know, things of this nature, right? And it believes in the Pacers. It thinks the Pacers are one of the better teams in the league. And to your point, the Pacers have a 128 offensive rating in the last month. A 128 offensive rating. Uh, Cody, the league average offensive rating in the last month is 116. So, again... We've struggled with math today, but I'm pretty sure that's 12 points better than league average. <laughs> the second best offense in that time period, none other than the Milwaukee Bucks, with a 122 offensive rating. So they're like more than five points better than, than the next best offense in the last month. I think what it's going to take, what I wrote in my notes, is the Pacers to get over 50 wins. And then the question is, what is it? Is it 50? Is it 52? What kind of seed can they get? Because I believe in Halliburton. That's, that's, let's start with that baseline. I believe in Halliburton. I believe that he is having a phenomenal season. I believe that he's one of the best offensive players in the league. I believe that this will continue. Will they end up with these 
crazy video game numbers and, you know, 128 offensive rating and will his efficiency continue to be this incredible? The guy is averaging 27 points per 75 on plus 10% uh, true shooting, which makes him one of the best scorers in the league. And we really don't talk about the scoring as much with him. We just think of him as an incredible passer. But his use of the three-point shot and deep, deep shots, quick release, the way he plays at pace, uh, all of that has just lent itself to this incredible uh, not only offense for the Pacers, but statistical season for Halliburton. He's near the top of the league on drives because he knows how to play with pace. He knows how to trick you. He knows how to use the shot to set up the drive. I believe in the whole thing. The question is, how high will he get? I think he's almost a lock for like top 10 at this. You know, he's going to be in, he's going to get like trickling votes right now. The question is, can the Pacers get enough wins to get him into that top five or even higher? The needle's eye that they definitely have to be able to shoot right here is how can they avoid being a gimmicky-seeming team with the offense, and how can they actually seem like a legit threat in the playoffs? And I think if they can make people believe, not saying in a pejorative sense, but if people can watch the Pacers and be like, this is a scary playoff team, I think that's going to narratively be the boost that, that Halley will need. Yeah, of course, the things cutting against them are, you know, small market, and the team hasn't done as well, and all that kind of stuff. So that will be interesting. Now, the other two guys I want to talk about together, because I don't know about you, Cody, but I started I started getting into the simulator, okay? I, I opened up the flux capacitor. I sat in the matrix. I was doing all kinds of sci-fi things, okay, before in preparation for this show. And I realized, I had this realization, like, man, if the Thunder can take the top seed in the West... Shea Gilgis Alexander is going to finish so high in MVP voting, they might have to give him two trophies. Because last year, Cody, the Thunder won 40 games last year. They went 40 and 42. They were the 10th seed in the Western Conference. I don't think Shea was as good. Statistically, he wasn't as good as he's playing right now. Do you know where Shea finished in MVP voting last year? I do, Ben. Would you, like to, would you like to share that with everyone? He finished... I think I do. Did he finish fifth last he year? He finished fifth last year. <laughs> now, to me, that is a crazy head scratching. It's like thirty percent of the way to Curry finishing eighth in two thousand twenty-two. I, I don't. I wouldn't say I agree with that. But if he's got that narrative love, if he's got that excitement for his young emerging game and this style of play and the sleek, you know, the slick mid-range scoring and the hesitation and the herky-jerky one hand, like if they win fifty-five games and take the top seed in the competitive Western Conference, I mean, it's just a lock for like a top three, right? It's a lock. The question is, is he going to win it? The one thing, the thing that could, I think, change that, is and here's, I don't, I'm not going to predict anything, but if this happens, maybe it takes a little shine off. What if Chet's an all-star? I think it's fine. I, th- I think, yes, yes. Having zero all-stars and finishing at the top helps that a lot. But I think... We've seen a ton of situations where you have an all-star teammate, and as long as you have that number one seed, you still get you still get all the shine, especially as a new kid on the block, right? Especially as like an emerging force. So that's Shea, and we can talk about him more if you want. But I'm in, I'm in here doing these simulations, okay? And, and now the Timberwolves, who as of recording this, are in the number one seed. They're 16 and four in the West, and I'm like, now wait a second, timeout. If the Timberwolves finished with the first seed in the West, and we've seen precedent for this in NBA history, the 2008 MVP, 
race between Kobe Bryant and Chris Paul came down to like the final week of the season and who comes out on top probably can split hairs when you're trying to pick someone, especially when it's really narrative heavy and the teams had this great season and all that. Cody, if the Wolves win the West, Anthony Edwards is going to finish really high in MVP voting because these are two top 20, top 25 at worst, top 15, maybe, maybe top 10 players you know, put it in stone at the end of the year. They're going to be on everyone's list. Um, but they can't both have it. So, you know, which which one of these do you think is more likely? Who you Do you want to reveal your who you have higher? Just tell me your thoughts on Ant. Let me give you a lot of thoughts on Ant because I, I thought a lot. I mean, obviously, I thought about these three guys a lot because you kind of can't avoid them when you're thinking about the MVP discussion. The thing about Anthony Edwards is no matter how you slice the Timberwolves, right? And it's kind of like the same thing with Shea Gilgis, Alexander, and OKC. No matter how you slice them, they're just better when he's on the court. Like, his on-off is like plus 15. It doesn't matter if Gobert or Cat or whomever else is involved. Like, they just look really good when he's on the court. But the thing, again, trying to think from the side of the voters, statistically, he just doesn't look like he's in the same category as the other two guys. Like, Halliburton has the, like, you know, Steve Nash breaking passing ability it seems like on offense with the like ridiculous scoring Shea is like a plus 30 points per 75 on like solid efficiency he's got the the length on defense but Anthony Edwards is like what is it? he's like wait he's what is it called when you're like in water and you're like floating you're not waiting treading, you're, treading water treading that's yes. not waiting treading yes. you're tr- I was a lifeguard so I should probably know <laughs> that I should probably know that term what are you so, what are you trying to say about Ann Edwards right now I'm saying that statistically, I think that his case would actually hurt him uh, because of, like, the treading water and efficiency, and I don't think he has any other, like, statistical indicator that makes a voter be like, oh, my God, Anthony Edwards. Well, his his plus-minus so far has been very good. His plus-minus has been very good. Yeah, go ahead. Off the top of my head, I don't think it's that much better or even, like, even better than Halliburton or Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Furthermore, the Timberwolves are succeeding on defense. Like, they have the best defense in the league by a solid margin. You know, and I don't know how much is going to be like, oh, my God, Rudy Gobert's back. Jaden McDaniels is a defensive player of the year candidate as well. So there's a lot of stuff going on. Carl Anthony Towns is looking pretty solid offensively. Like a lot of things are working for them that I think compared to the other two, you know, I'll show my hand here. I have him lower than the other two. Um, I just feel like the team boost from the Timberwolves is going to hurt him a little bit more than the other two. Okay, as of recording this. The on-off is plus 17. The Timberwolves are 17 points per 100 better when he's on the court. And when he's on the court, they're plus 13 per 100. And, and I think that combination is premium. That's fantastic. I don't think anyone's going to look at that and talk themselves out of thinking that he's the prime driver in Minnesota. The flip side is you. Do, all the things you said are, I think, accurate. They are a defensive team. They are winning with defense. They are a very good team. And I and that's the question in my head, actually. How good are they? Because it's this weird thing where if all of the sort of uh, peripheral parts in Minnesota are making them successful, meaning they're just doing that thing where they don't put poor NBA players on the court and they have Carl uh, Anthony Towns as an all-star, and they have Anthony Edwards as a superstar, and they have Rudy Gobert as a defender, and the things fit together, and they're well-coached. It's like, I, I, have you seen Nikhil Alexander-Walker play this season? Have you, have, you, have, you, have you checked in on the Timberwolves lately? They're just very many good players. 
So he's uh he's like cousins with Shea, right? He's, like he's cousin. Yes, one of them got the offensive gene and one of them got the the defensive gene. Well, here's what's crazy. Like, I don't know, man. Whenever I watch the Timberwolves, I see a little bit of Shea in him, just in the way his like movement patterns and the way that he like exists on the court. I'm like, oh, I totally see the familial uh, relationship there. I don't know if you've picked up on that, but that's my take on on Nikhil. No, that's what I meant with the offense defense thing. He he kind of he kind of uses those movement patterns to succeed on defense. But, you know, Kyle Anderson's another guy there. Uh, oh, Mike goodness. Mike Conley, Jaden McDaniels, Nas Reed, seven, eight, nine guys every night playing really, really well for them. And so on one hand, Cody, you say, well, the team is too good. So Edwards won't get enough credit to win MVP. On the other hand, you ever heard of Allen Iverson? <laughs> Who? Yeah. What about what about Derrick Rose? Familiar with him? Nah, not not ringing a bell. And these were two former basketball players that won MVP. Stop! What do you mean not ringing a bell? Yeah, I don't think Derrick Rose is a former basketball player. <laughs> no, Just, is Derrick Rose? For the is he still is he still playing basketball? I, I think he plays for the Grizzlies, which is no, probably why that's not a team. A, that's not a team. <laughs> Anyone that plays they for were, the Grizzlies, is the a Grizzlies used player. to be a team in Vancouver. Uh, why don't more teams change their name when they move? By the way, I was talking about this recently with a friend. No, I don't know. I, it's a great like the time Utah to Jazz. <laughs> it's like an it's like an it's like an oxymoron. Anyway, um, where what would Utah be like the Utah saltwater? I, I, I don't know the sky, the mountains. They got they got stuff there. They can yeah. they can have a regional name. Okay, I'm, I'm yeah. not trying to offend Utah Utahns. You, Utah, would you just put an N at the end? Utahns? I think you were um, good until you tried to say Utahns. Utah, the, the Utes, Utahns. The Utes, Shout yeah. me out. What, uh, aren't the Utes like, oh, I'm thinking of like Upper Michigan. Uh, anyway, Utahns, tell me, like, what, sh- what should the Utah Jazz actually be named? Give me some good names. Give me some good names. Cody, what were we talking about? We were talking about, oh, oh, the Derrick Rose and oh, yeah. uh, Allen Iverson. There is precedent for having a really good defensive team and being the offensive guy that helps the offense. Now, it might get weird because Cat is also an offensive guy, so maybe there's not enough sort of narrative lift there. But even in today's game, where the voters are smarter than ever, we have more access to data than ever, we measure more than ever, we have more film shared around. And like, I still think in retrospect, people who were comfortable with the idea of Iverson winning the award in 2001 or Rose winning the award in 2011, like the idea, like they, you can tell them all the data, but they go, look, this is this may be an average offense, but it wouldn't be an average offense without these guys, number one. Number two, in both cases, we're winning more games than our point, point, point differential predicts. And whether you know you want to come in with... Uh, some nerdy spreadsheet thing and say that's luck. I still want to count. I still want to reward the team that won more games. I actually think this matters with Minnesota right now because Minnesota is playing above their record and they're 16 and four and those wins are already in the books. So there's going to be a handful of closer games that they play throughout the rest of the year and they've already locked in some wins in close games. And heck, when I watch their close games, Carl Anthony Towns has made a ton of big plays and shots down the stretch in close games. And so is Anthony Edwards. And so it's like, if a team can outperform its point, uh, predicted point, uh, predicted wins from the point differential, let me try to get that right. 
I think that that carries weight for some voters. So the whole thing to me is like, if Minnesota wins the one seed, I think it's going to have tremendous, tremendous narrative momentum. Everything you say, I agree with, but it just doesn't feel like I'm hearing the chatter. And I feel like if I'm a quarter of the way through the season, I should start hearing some chatter a little bit more. And I'm just not. I hear more chatter for the other two. And I don't know. This is the unfair thing where it's like, should I base everything on the first 20 games I watch and listen to and pay attention to or whatever else? Maybe not. But uh, the wheels are not churning, Ben. The wheels are not churning. All right. Let's talk about the old guard. The, the same players that have been in the MVP voting for the last 11 years. Uh, they are <laughs> incredible players. Um, do you want to do you want to talk about Giannis? Do you want to? I have a couple guys here. I have a couple guys here. We have uh, Jokic, Luca, Embiid, Giannis, and Jason Tatum. That's that's yep. the list of old guard guys for me. Do you want to pick any of those out and and share thoughts? <sighs> do you want to start? Do you want to put one. someone down? Do you want to get very negative? A lot what? of the audience has requested angry Cody lately. Uh, angry Cody needs to sit down for a while. Angry Angry Cody needs to rest. I guess that's the secret, Ben. That's what me and Hulk are like similarly. I'm just always angry. It depends on when I decide to unleash it. So, Luka Doncic, should we start there? Um, oh, boy. Should we start with Luka? Oh, okay. I mean, here's Lu- the thing with Luka. It's like, crazy, right? Are they, are they good enough? I, I don't. Does it even matter? That's what's crazy to me. The, but it did, it did last year. It mattered last year. He finished like ninth or eighth or something like that. Cody, Cody, Cody. Luka Doncic finished eighth in MVP, the same as Steph Curry, the year that they came out of nowhere, according to the prognosticators, to win the title and have a great season. They didn't even make the playoff game last year. He was out of shape for half the season. He looks way better this year. I think the fact that he keeps finishing very very high i think he was what fourth or fifth the year before when they went to the conference finals he was eighth last season i want to say he's second in mvp voting odds either preseason or the latest i don't know how often they update them at sports books and things like that but we did we did look at the odds before we recorded here Uh, i believe he's second i just think he, I don't I, like. What's the number for Dallas for him to finish very high in the ballot? Forty-five wins. I, I don't even know if they have to have that good of a record for him to be up there because he's got the triple doubles. He's playing really well. His stats are off the charts. I think the one thing maybe holding him back, which is related to the team record, is what we talked about last time: the the on-off performance and the actual quality when he's on the court. But I actually, I actually think he has some sort of. Uh, MVP voting horseshoe situation going on like he's what did you say earlier the wheel is being pushed he's he's on a mountain everyone else is going uphill he's going downhill so you're you're high you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna switch I'm showing here. my hand I'm showing my hand I'm, I'm I'm probably higher than you are you're definitely higher than me because you don't have him top five absolutely not yeah uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna flip I'm gonna flip myself I was because I think this is a little bit more fun I was positive for everyone else for the old guard I'm gonna flip I'm gonna be I'm gonna <laughs> pitch the case for why they shouldn't be top five for all of these guys because they, they've had enough victories 
for a while. Let's let's tear him down a little bit before we construct our top five. So, uh, you, listen, Luke is a wonderful player. He's incredible. We had a whole segment on it. Go listen to it. I like to think that it was fairly nuanced. I think that we were very fair discussing him. I think Luka Doncic is an excellent player. I don't. I just don't know if he's going to get the narrative boost this year. I don't know why. I just don't vibe it, Ben. I'm going a lot on vibes right now, and that makes for terrible podcasting. But uh, Luca's just not going to finish top five. So you feel like you feel like SGA has the vibes to win MVP. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. Because uh, I have the same thing with vibes. I, I basically I have my I have my list strategically to get the most points possible in our prediction game. Uh, I don't know why I want you to win the game. If I'm if I'm confessing, yeah. Wait, what? I don't know why. I just I just want you to win. Yeah, I appreciate that, but this is again something else we're going to have to unpack at the end of the episode. I just like, feel it just feels more fun. We we need to have <laughs> we might have to have a Patreon episode where we just unpack some of the things that you've said like that on these episodes. Because, okay, okay, we'll actually get the couch out and talk. All right, old guard Ben, tell me, Giannis, what do you think? I I. I he he is the one to me that it's like between typical injuries, games played, the Bucks record, where the Bucks might finish in the conference because of the presence of Boston and because of the presence of Philadelphia. And goodness knows if there's another team that can uh, sleep in there. I, 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 first of all, I just don't think there's any way he can win MVP. I just think it's like it's like almost a zero. You, you want to talk about vibes? I'm just not feeling any vibes whatsoever for that. Secondly, do, do you then have the sort of narrative boost that you could generate to pass some of the guys who A, are better players, or B, have the, have the narrative boost? I, I wasn't sure about that either. And then third, how much do you get penalized for the slow start? We talked about how the second half is more important, and it is. But I think when you're old guard and you don't have a lot of narrative boost, sometimes that season starts and you look at your stats and they aren't quite as good, which his aren't. Uh, and he could he could play great the rest of the way and end up with a typical Giannis season. And I'm not sure it would be good enough to get him in his third or fourth position that he's now annually finishing in since winning MVP back-to-back in 2019-2020. So I was really like, I don't even know if I can squeeze him in. That That's kind of how I'm feeling about Giannis. So... I don't know if I agree if the stats aren't good enough. Like right now, thinkingbasketball.net database, 31 points per 75 and plus seven and a half efficiency. Yeah, compared you, you compared to the other seasons. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You want, like Ben, Giannis is a really good basketball player. Yeah. Like, Newsflash, <laughs> but like you watch the Bucks and this guy just goes. Like some of the defensive plays he still makes, you're like, oh my God. Like him and Brooke Lopez together are just a wrecking crew on that end. Offensively, we've talked about it. He's a freight train. He completely just absorbs defenses. Uh, he's he's living up to the moniker of being one of two best finishers in, in NBA history. But there are a lot of narrative things going against him. How much is he going to hurt from having a new coach? How much is he going to hurt from having their focus switch away from defense? How much is it going to hurt to have Damian Lillard on his team? Because all of a sudden now you have another guy that people view very highly uh, in the past for some of these MVP kinds of conversations. I think some of those things are definitely not going to be great. However, I do think the discussion, I don't want to have it right now, but in the future, like the Joel Embiid versus Giannis in terms of who's the better player, I think that's a fascinating question at the moment. I, I'm going to table that, but Giannis is a very good player that I'm just, we'll see, we'll see. Let us know if you want a brief 45 minutes to one and a half hour episode of uh, Joel Embiid and Giannis juxtaposing the two players and the two styles and and all that fun stuff. So, okay, 
sticking in the East, because I think this is all interrelated, we've got Joel Embiid. You, you, You mentioned it. I mean, if Philadelphia finishes with a better record than Milwaukee after losing James Harden, one, I mean, we might have a little Nick Nurse Coach of the Year action. Do those things compete? They almost never do. Like the MVP and the Coach of the Year seem to potentially propel each other forward because it's almost like the voters forget the other exists when they fill out the ballot. They go to fill out one ballot and they say, at the beginning of the year, this team was supposed to do much worse than they did. MVP, that's probably you. And then they go over to the coach. And as we talked about last year, we did an entire podcast on Coach of the Year. Uh, and basically the, the the story there and the reason why we won't do a Coach of the Year prediction show this season is it is almost entirely about preseason odds and expectations and how far you exceed them. So, you know, I think Philadelphia and Embiid are probably positioned better than a, than a Giannis MVP vote right now. You dropped the perfect word, Ben. We're going to highlight like Sesame Street juxtaposition because you could not have two players' cases more juxtaposed right now than you. Like, <laughs> that's, a, honestly, that's a classic Sesame Street word, Cody. <laughs> <laughs> I would do an elbow voice, but I can't do an elbow voice. I, I just can't pull it like off the top of my head. Anyway, the, their cases are the are diametrically opposed, like completely. Giannis and Embiid both have new coaches. One's a rookie coach. One is somebody that's been viewed as one of the best coaches in the league. Interestingly, they worked well together. Giannis gets a superstar offensive teammate that he joins. Embiid loses a superstar teammate that uh, whatever else. All The things that the 76ers are doing are unlocking all of Embiid's strengths. And Giannis just seems to be doing the same sorts of Giannis things while not unlocking the same defensive capabilities. So I think their two cases are really fascinating together. Yeah, we've talked about it before. We have a video on the Thinking Basketball YouTube channel. I mean, this is Embiid's best passing season. How much of that is even just his improvement? There are clear reads where I think he's made improvements, little small improvements over the years. But the offensive structure and the system and the space and the two-man actions and uh, just getting sort of out of this pattern or this system of clear out one side, throw it to him, eat a double team and figure out how to hit the cutter like, you know, you're Bill Walton or something. That is a little bit more passe. They've moved they've moved beyond that. And I mean, he, he's just he's been spectacular. He's been electric. So I think I think the two different narratives there are really working in his favor, especially if he continues to be one of the two or three best players in the league, has the great statistical pa- uh, package that he brings and all that. So who, who does that leave? Who have we not? We not talked about Jokic and we've not talked about Tatum. Is that right? Yeah. So we, we talked about Embiid. We should go straight to Jokic. I should say it. I think this is Embiid's <laughs> best season. Like it could be unlocked from the coach or whatever else. But this is from my, what I'm seeing. Agreed. Embiid's probably best season. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, Jokic. Now, they just lost to the Clippers. What? Uh, they I were might. up by like 17 and then the Clippers came charging yeah. back in the second quarter. That's what my dad told me. Yeah. You know, you know, yeah. Your, your dad's plugged into to the he's, he's plugged he's plugged into the videos i make and then making sure that they flop yeah <laughs> <laughs> so i think the last time the nuggets played the clippers Jokic was out and reggie jackson and deandre jordan uh led them to a victory so i don't know i don't know like the nuggets have kind of hit you know they look a little stale right now jamal murray's just kind of recently back so i think he's working into some things here so it'll be interesting to see if they're able to like capture some of the early season synergy because i know they were rolling at the beginning of the season but individually, man, Jokic still looks like Nikola Jokic. Like, I don't know if anything looks too much different from you. I wouldn't necessarily th- say he's better, but I also don't know if I'd say he's worse going into this season right now. Jokic just is uh, Jokiching right now. 
Cody, 2021, Nikola Jokic wins the most valuable player award for the first time. In our model that we share for our Patreon subscribers, 8.6 box plus minus that season. It's one of the great performances in regular season history. I don't I mean I don't know if I'd call 2021 top 5, but that's we don't have our historical database up, but that's a monster. That is an absolute monster. Um you can look in the historical database if you're a subscriber. I'm saying I don't have it memorized or up in front of me. Next season, Cody, 2022, he wins another MVP. 8.6 box plus minus once again. His offensive box plus minus is 5.2. These are obviously tops in the league and sometimes tops in the league by a lot. His on-off, you know, we talked about that earlier, in, in 2021 was plus 12. And in 2022, it was plus 17. And then we go to last year. Last year, he did not win MVP, but that box plus minus, it kept on going up. It was a nine last year. He had a box plus minus of nine, the same offensive box plus minus, and his on-off was plus 22, one of the better results of all time. Cody, would you like to know Nikola Jokic's numbers in the same categories for the 2024 basketball season? Ben, I'm looking at it, but I this is my ASMR. Like you just say it to me. I need this in my ears. His box plus minus is 10.5, which I believe would be the greatest season of all time. <laughs> his offensive box plus minus is even higher, and his on-off, the difference when he's on the court versus off the court for the Nuggets, is plus twenty-three. Plus twenty-three. Cody, the Nuggets are outscoring teams by 10 points per 100 when he's on the court, and Jamal Murray has been out for the last month. So my single biggest question, perhaps, about this entire exercise is when Jamal Murray comes back, and he came back for 20 minutes the other day and he sprained an ankle, but I mean when he really comes back. Do the Nuggets have a month or two months where they stomp everyone because they've shown the flashes early in the season, and they still look very good, but obviously not having all-NBA Hall of Fame Jamal Murray that we've seen in the playoffs. The, the man still has not made an all-star team. And Cody, Cody, he's only a few games away from being disqualified for all-NBA this year because of the time he's missed. I can't believe this is still happening. That Maybe that should be our side bet. Do you think Jamal Murray will make the all-star team? But to me, that's the big question because if they do that and they take the one seed – I think Jokic might be primed for another MVP. Okay. I I accept all of that case, but I don't know. I'm interested to see the repercussions of last year of Embiid winning MVP over him, of Jokic storming his way to the championship last year, but then now combined with them just not really being at the top of the West at the moment. So I would like to like if they end up in the third seed and Jokic just having these kinds of numbers, like what happens in that case, right? And I'd I don't necessarily know if people are going to be excited to be like, yep, we're going back to the voting box to, you know, vote Jokic in for another year. Makes it sound like he's like the president of the NBA. He's no, he's got <laughs> he's got <laughs> he's got to get the people excited. You have yeah. to inspire the people, you have to move the people, and I think that's the narrative. The narrative is is having the greatest offensive season of all time. And I think it would have to be coupled with this like 1978 Portland Trailblazers just massively hot streak when they're they're all healthy, take the one seed. I think that's the pathway to it. And, the, and that's the big question in my head because everything unravels after that. If that doesn't happen, then you have the Minnesota-Oklahoma City potential bloodbath. Um, we haven't talked about the East. I think it's a given that the Celtics are going to win a lot of games if they're healthy. I think the single biggest question is 
you know, how much credit does Tatum get because the team is stacked? We know we know no one knows the true MVP, Drew Holiday. Did you? Sorry, I sh- did you have him in your top five? I mean, I used to lock in for number one. I was just picking the other four players for this whole thing. Jason Tatum's really interesting because Jason Tatum's incredible. Like we talked about the bulk he put on. We need to have another gym corner at some point. Not today. You know, we're getting to the point where we can't really go on too many tangents at this point. Uh, but he put on weight. I think his driving game looks good. But like the numbers aren't popping. Like, the on-off, on stuff isn't crazy. He's surrounded by an excellent team. Like, Drew Holiday is excellent when Chris Stapps-Brzingis is healthy. Like, that's another high-level player that they haven't had in the past. Uh, Jalen Brown, of course, is always garnering attention with his ability to blow by and score and whatever else. Uh, but Jason Tatum is just really good at basketball. And I feel like if the Celtics are near the top and people are like, well, Tatum's great and the Celtics are always really good and he's probably the best offensive player and the one that we can, like, trust the most when the chips are down. Yeah, we should probably vote him in to at least some degree. But is this where the 20 game thing messes with you? Because plus 20, plus five on that can swing. That can swing in a month. That can swing easily. The question is, how good is the player? How good will he be at the end of the year? How good is the team? Do you believe that the number like like even just in Oklahoma City? Do you believe at the end of the year that Oklahoma City is going to be like 23 points per 100 better with Shea Gilgis Alexander? I think if you believe that regardless of what happened with the team, like if they were the fifth seed, he's still going to be top three MVP. Well, here's the other thing too. I guess that's unfair because if Tatum was boasting like these plus 15 types of numbers, Boston's already like what? They have the best net rating in the league uh, by the wins predictions in your database. The It views them the highest. Like there's just no, like if he had those kinds of numbers, he'd be shooing for number one, right? Like there'd be no question that Tatum would be like the lock for MVP. So, um, I, I don't know. I think there's a very good chance that he finishes again. You know, he likes to be in his top five ish. I don't know. How, I don't know if he's ever cracked the top two, uh, three. Has he cracked three before? I think four was his high point. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He'll probably finish. I, I'm not going to say anything right now, but Tatum will probably be well, in the mix. Now. You're going to, you're going to tell us right now. Um, would you like to start with your ballot or would you like me to kick it off at number five? I'm going st- <laughs> to. Okay, should we start with? I'm, I'm going to start with the cut that hurt the most, Ben. Good. Yes, that's a that's a great way to do it. Giannis didn't make my ballot, Ben. Ah, <sighs> Cody. Uh, I'm I'm getting upset. I'm starting to get upset. It's like it's like it's like the episode of Seinfeld, where George, you know, George is getting upset. I'm getting um, upset. Yeah, this is uh, this is terrible because Giannis did not make my ballot either. Right. And it felt weird. I kept doing this thing where I was like, Giannis has to be like fourth or fifth or something like that. And I I, I just couldn't get it in. Couldn't get it in. It hurt. It hurts. It and hurt. I, I do think there's a good chance that we'll both be wrong about this at some point, but I'm not feeling it right now. So Wait, I'll start with my number five. You mean, you mean like the way we were not wrong at all about the in-season <laughs> tournament? <laughs> you built uh-huh. me up so much after the preseason pod that... You know, that invincibility is wearing off now that I'm just being wrong all the time. You, number five, what do you got? I have uh, Tyrese Halliburton at my number five. Oh, I love, I love it. Cody, you've ma- I'm, now I'm in a good mood again. Good. George, good. Is, George is feeling good again. This is fantastic. <laughs> okay, I am going to... Someone should keep track of this. We've got to write this down. I, I am going to go with, at number five, and this one, I really want to vote this one number one. I want to vote my number five number one. But I was trying to be strategic. I was trying to figure out who needs to be on the ballot. What This is why I was in the simulator all weekend. What are the probabilities of this happening? 
I, I'm going to stick Anthony Edwards on the ballot. I'm going to give him my number five. Oh my god, this is incredible. This is amazing. Yeah, I love this. Well, you want to put him number one? Oh, I want. I want to put him number one. See, you talked about vibes. I feel the vibes, but at the okay. same time, everything we talked about with the Timberwolves right now, I can't. They're the team I. I've never. I don't know if I've ever had a team that I like so much that I don't believe in that I do believe in. Does that make sense? <laughs> That's my headspace. I'm like, yeah. yes, they're very good, but they're they're a little overrated. They've had this crazy shooting luck. They're not going to be quite as good, but also they're already 16 and four, and they're also very good. And Rudy Gobert is probably going to win Defensive Player of the Year. And so I, it's I, I can see it. I can see it. I can feel it. I want to pick it. I'm I'm gonna be strategic. I'm going to put him fifth. It's, I love that. Let's go to number four. We talked no, about these guys enough. No, number it's four. Get, it's getting better. You're going to love it. This is so This is so fun. Uh, I got to go Luca number four. You're going Luca? Yeah, okay. I'm going Luca. It's just the media darling. Let's do it. This is a great list. I'm, I'm actually a lot <laughs> happier with this than than our, our previous ones. I love that you've... I'm writing these down, by the way. Wait till we get to the top three. It's going to be horrible. What do, what do you have for... What do you have for number four? Number four, Jason Tatum. Oh, this is, this is the best. Okay. Uh, you want to do number three? Oh, yeah. We're going to snake it. I guess we've been snaking. Number three, I really... Ben, I wanted to put this guy number one. I think this is how I feel about Anthony Edwards. But I can't... I just... I, I can't do it. I can't do it. Um, SGA? Yeah, I'm going Shea Gilgis Alexander. Number three. Shea Gilgis Alexander, number three. My number three, Cody, we've talked about this a lot. We talked about it in the preview episode for the entire year. Uh, Joel Embiid, I looked it up. When David Robinson lost in the 1995 Western Conference Finals. Now, I know it's a different time. It's a different voting body. But when Hakeem Olajuwon did those things to him that maybe were inappropriate to do on national TV in front of everyone, uh, David Robinson won MVP that year. He got the trophy. Hakeem said, that's my trophy. We all know the story. Do you know where David Robinson finished in MVP in 1996? I have a feeling it's going to be like eight. He finished second. Oh. oh, oh. 50, with 51% of the vote share. Oh. And again, I know it's a different time, but I think when you're good or you're great and you play great, and you don't miss time. And obviously that's the caveat here in my head. I was trying to be a little strategic about missing time. Like I think Giannis could miss his 10 or 15 games or whatever. Uh, I, I, it, I think Embiid's going to be there. I think he's having a great year. The Sixers record looks great. I, I think the Sixers are very good. So I'm going to stick Embiid here at number three. I'm actually really angry you have Embiid here. Oh, because no. Because that means, no, that means you weren't the coward. That means you did what I was unable to do. You did what I was unable to do and you're going to win because of it. Uh are you going to snake? You know what? Never mind. I, no, we're I'll not going to snake because I'm going to do number two because my number two is Embiid. I, hold on. Hold on. I love um, what you You want to get me on the couch. What happened? With the, you're the coward. You're going to win. What's going on? What, what are you saying? You didn't actually pick what you think is going to happen? No, I, I couldn't quite do it. And I don't know if it's because I'm like, I'm afraid of change, man. I don't know if I'm afraid of change, but you clearly aren't because I know who your number I don't know. You know you I don't know who your know number you, one or two is going to be. You, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Would you Are like you to hear? Would you like to hear my number one and two? Oh my god, you did it, didn't you? No, I didn't. You, you didn't. Okay. I can't. I. I just. I don't know what to do here. I am going to go with SGA at two and Jokic at one. Okay. And then I have Drew Holiday at number one. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Thinking Basketball. No, I have Nikola Jokic at number one. I can't believe you didn't put Drew on here anywhere. Okay. <laughs> he, he was number two on my defense ballot, remember? That was my that was my swing with Drew. 
So to recap, I have Edwards, uh, Luca, Embiid, Shea, and Jokic going five to one. Cody's five to one is Halliburton, Tatum, SGA, Embiid, and Jokic. To support us, check out patreon.com slash thinking basketball. That's where we have our stats database. We have for teams. We have it for players. We use it to research the videos, the podcasts. It's our it's our it's our lifeline when we get into this kind of stuff. Uh, we can reference it really quickly on the show. I use it every day. I love it. Patreon.com slash thinking basketball. We also have extra content. We have a couple of years of extra content to wade through as or as Cody might say to tread tread through um I thought you were going to say Anthony Edwards was treading water on defense but you meant his efficiency is treading yeah. water I think and I was about to be like man we're, we're we okay so we're gonna have a podcast for Embiid and Giannis that's going to be an interesting conversation and then we're going to have an even bigger podcast on Anthony Edwards versus Shea on defense if you think Anthony Edwards is treading water because Anthony Edwards to me has a lot more interesting defensive juice and has been better defensively uh, as he's as he's gotten older and he's also so young that's why I was like I was torn between Ant getting the boost now I really I really want I really wanted to vote Ant but I think Jokic is the strategically smartest vote and I also think it's probably just more likely that Denver has a run in them than than trying especially than trying to sort out like is it going to be Minnesota is it going to be Oklahoma City I, I I don't know it's just wild that there's a player like Jokic where you, you watch all of this stuff and you're like this is like statistically like maybe the best season of all time like I think it's right up there with 09 LeBron maybe like what is it, 1988-89 Jordan? And you're like, I don't know, maybe this guy won't finish first in MVP. It's just ridiculous. So I, I, you, I, can't, I can't go against that sort of thing with the MVP talk. Yeah, we talk about Halliburton and that like 127-128 offensive rating. I mean, Jokic is 124, and he's played half the season without Jamal Murray. And he just seems like he's, he's solved basketball. Has any, I'm sure someone on YouTube has made that video, like solving basketball. But it should just be like a Jokic... It should just no commentary needed. It should just be like pictures of Jokic playing basketball and then playing around with his horses. Thanks, as always, for listening all the way through on this one. And, uh, of course, we hope you are having a great day.